Folks, have you checked out the Irish History Podcast shop recently? Right now, I have a sale of 30% off everything when you use the code SALE30. So go to irishhistorypodcast.ie forward slash shop and get 30% off everything when you use the discount code SALE30. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Irish History Podcast. My name is Finn Dwyer and this is On The Lash, a history of drinking in Ireland. Today's podcast is a look at the history of drink and drink culture in Ireland now, this country is well known for our problematic attitudes to alcohol. I think this is best summarised by the fact that while Ireland traditionally has high rates of alcohol abuse, it also has one of the highest rates of abstinence as well, which indicates a strange relationship. This podcast is going to pick this apart, look at our drinking habits over the last 800 years, bringing us right up to the present day. I should say, before we begin, some of you have been in touch about the series Partisans on Irish involvement in the Spanish Civil War. That is returning, but it won't be back until February. A new archive of letters written by Irish nuns who were in Spain during the Spanish Civil War has literally been released to the public for the first time this week, and I'm going to go through them next Wednesday. Now, given that these have never been seen before, I think it's worth holding back to see if there's any new perspectives in that archive. I'm also at the moment asking for you, the listeners of the show, for your opinions on what directions the upcoming series on the Irish War of Independence should take. You can give me your opinions at irishhistorypodcast.ie forward slash survey. There's a few questions there. It'll only take you about 60 seconds, but it's invaluable information for me as I design that series going forward over the next couple of months. Also, while you're there, check out the new shop. At the moment, there's a lovely selection of pins available there. They're made from metal and enamel and depict some of the most famous people in Irish history over the last thousand years. These include the revolutionary Countess Markovic, the famous chieftain Grace O'Malley, the Fenian and tenants' rights activist Michael Davitt, all the way back to Brian Brew. Now you can get these at irishhistorypodcast.ie as well. Finally, I have a live recording coming up on February the 9th in Cork. Tickets are available at uticket.ie. I'll put an exact link in the show notes, but that's coming up in Cork on February the 9th. And it'll be great crack. I'll hopefully see lots of you there. Now we can turn to today's topic. For this episode, I'm joined by DJ Walsh, who's the host of Snowcast, which is a podcast that's recorded in pubs. And in that tradition, we're recording this in a pub. So DJ, do you want to say hello and explain your podcast Hi everyone, thanks for having me on Finn. Uh, I'm the co-host of Snowcast with my friend Owen Tab and uh, we record a podcast once a week in pubs, typically in Waterford or Kilkenny in, in the southeast of Ireland. And basically the whole premise of the podcast is we want to bring pub chat, typical pub chat in Ireland to the listeners where we just talk about different topics, sometimes serious, sometimes less serious and uh, we just have a casual conversation and uh, try and enjoy ourselves while enjoying some local craft beer 
and uh, enjoying the ambience of whatever pub we're in, such as uh, the great, the great ambience here in the hole in the wall. <laughs> well, actually, as DJ says there, and following in their great tradition, we we decided to record this uh, episode of the podcast in a pub, and I suppose we can't go any further without talking about where we are. As DJ mentioned, we're in a pub called the Hole in the Wall. Now, the building that the Hole in the Wall is in was actually built back in 1582. To put that into context, this building was standing when Queen Elizabeth was sitting on the throne in England. But we're going to start talking about the history of drinking and drink culture in Ireland, and we're going to go even back before that. So we're going to start back in the late medieval period, around the 12th and 13th century. And we're going to look a bit about what people drank, why they drank it, and how that has changed over the last six, seven centuries. And then we'll talk a bit about drinking culture in Ireland today and the pros and cons to it. I suppose a good place to start is what people drank. And most people would associate whiskey as being a very traditional Irish drink. But in the medieval period, the two main drinks that people drank were wine and ale. Wine being, largely speaking, the drink of the aristocracy, ale being a much more common drink. Now, people drank huge amounts of ale, and it's worth bearing in mind, if you look through records where it pops up, people will often be talking about things like 15 gallons of ale. But it's worth looking at that ale, and actually alcohol in general, had a very different role in society. Obviously, people drank it for fun. You can see lots of accounts of taverns and people socialising in taverns. But also, it comes back to this issue of uh, water quality in the uh, medieval period and I don't know DJ do you want to say a bit about that role of alcohol in the medieval period yeah I suppose the water quality it was putrid it wasn't it wasn't drinkable and people would put themselves at risk their health at risk and their lives at risk if they drank water whereas actually um, ale because it had alcohol content in it um, it it would uh, stave off bacterial growth so that meant it was uh, people were able to hydrate themselves and get some nourishment from ale um, the ale that we're talking about is completely different than the ale that we consume today. Uh, we're talking about a lower percentage, um, absolute volume of alcohol in these ales. But that being said, like you said, Finn, there, there was the class divide was definitely there between ale and wine. Um, and um, it's also actually, it's also used for nutritional value as well. Because yep. the ale at the time is, uh, some people talk about it being almost <laughs> porridge like, but then that's an exaggeration. But it's a much richer drink. Um, in terms of its uh, content. Um, that said, what we talk about it as being um, a pure source of uh, water, for want of a better word, but um, given the poor state of, say, wells and things like that in urban areas, it's worth saying that there is problems associated with alcohol consumption in the medieval period. It's not just being used for uh, uh, medicinal purposes or things like that. And I was going through a couple of things in preparing for this podcast. And for example, in 1367, the Archbishop of Dublin at the time complained that people weren't engaging in religious activities on feast days, but instead they were spending the days in taverns and drunkenness and other illicit acts of pleasure. And then there's lots of cases of violence directly associated with and resulting from uh, alcohol consumption. And you can see this in medieval court records where there's um, countless occasions where alcohol, you know, it's probably the same as today. It's not the root cause of this violence, but it's certainly feeding into it. And taverns are seen as places where violence takes place. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even looking further back than that, something that I picked up in a previous Irish History podcast episode was um, you mentioned back in, even in the Viking Ireland, 
Glooneering was killed by a slave in a drunken argument. Yeah, Glooneering was a, a king of Dublin. Who was yeah? Although I would imagine that slave had probably <laughs> lots of other reasons for killing killing the king at the time. However, there's no doubt that there was copious amounts of alcohol consumed <laughs> when it took place. Um, but you mentioned whiskey as well earlier. Finn has been the one that you have the connotations with. But the medieval period of Ireland we're talking about distillation wasn't a thing then no it, but it does come in um, it's certainly here by the 15th century and early in the 15th century there's a reference to a certain Richard Burke who had died drinking um, and that what it, in that in, in that uh, record what it says is that he uh, died from drinking aqua vita which is uh, the water of life uh, often used yeah. to uh, describe whiskey um, but it says in, in the record it says to him it was aqua mortis and of water, course water of death exactly and of course to this day in the Irish language the Irish phrase for whiskey is ishkabaha ish which yeah. directly also translates to the water of life, life yeah. so you can see how once distillation came in quickly the water of life became you know absolutely instilled in Irish society yeah and it's quite interesting over the following centuries ale I guess goes down massively in consumption and spirits become much more um, the alcohol of choice. Now, the exact reasons for this aren't entirely understood and aren't entirely clear, but certainly um, if you fast forward a couple of centuries, the big drink that people are consuming is uh, distilled spirits. And this leads to a very, I suppose, you're heading into a period, say certainly by the 17th, 18th, 19th centuries, where you're heading in to the uh, start and then the growth of the Industrial Revolution. Now, in England, one of the big problems you get is something called the gin craze. People may have heard about this, is where people are drinking copious amounts of gin. Very disturbing, like, to read about it. Often what this is put down to is the horrific, say, conditions in factories uh, that people are working in appalling conditions, so they're drinking huge amounts of alcohol to kind of numb their senses. Interestingly, gin, though, wasn't popular in Ireland. Um, It had come to England with William of Orange, um, and was very much seen at the time as a Protestant drink. So obviously the majority of the population in Ireland, being Catholic, would have not drank gin. That says huge amounts of whiskey are being uh, drunk. And while England has its problem with the gin craze, you could probably say Ireland has a, pro- has a problem with the whiskey craze to an extent. In the You can see it in the 18th and 19th century where it's contributing to very serious violence. I've covered two, say, for example, minor incidents. Well, they're yep. not minor, but they're, they're, they're examples. At Wild Goose Lodge in 1816, and then and later in that century at Mam Trasna in 1882, where secret societies on those occasions brutally murder families. But alcohol plays this huge role in that, in the form of Dutch courage. But you also see it um, in incidents, like say, for example, in the 1790s, and again through the uh, 19th century, where you have serious sectarian rioting in Ireland and alcohol is seen to be playing a very prominent role in these disturbances and is being identified in society as being very problematic. And I suppose if we wanted to talk about the emergence maybe of alcohol as the social ill in the way that we understand it today, maybe you could start looking at its roots in this period. You get the first major, I suppose, modern abstinence movement in the 1830s, I think it is, and people would probably be familiar with uh, the person who started that. That's Father Theobald Matthew. There's a statue to him in Cork, I think, isn't there? And there's, yep. a Dublin, there's a bridge in Dublin named after him. He started this movement for abstinence, which was wildly popular. And like, I think we often think back in Irish history as Ireland being a country of big drinkers. But uh, in the 1840s, around the time of the famine, you get somewhere, you're talking about millions of people who have signed up to this pledge not to drink. And I think that reflects probably part of the 
Now, it reflects obviously on one level the church is taking a very moralistic approach to alcoholism. Um, you can see why they're doing it, but at the same time, you have to question is this a healthy way to approach this problem? But you can see that it is popular because millions of people are supporting this idea of abstinence. And it is, you can see some of the ways that is actually alcohol abuse is seen as problematic. Like, for example, when the Young Irelanders are preparing for their revolt in 1848, they're all taking this pledge that they're not going to drink until the rebellion happens because alcohol is seen as, yeah. I suppose, the loose talk could cost lives that someone in a pub might give away the secrets of what they're preparing to do. Absolutely. But I think as well, the period that you're talking about when you're talking about the late 18th, early 19th century as well, we're seeing something that has a, a, a catastrophic effect on Irish society in another way, an increased dependence on the potato. So notwithstanding, putting it becomes a, a, a prevalent drink in Irish yeah. society in this period of time. And I suppose all of a sudden, when you're dependent on the potato for not just your, your food and sustenance, you're living um, Irish society at the time, the vast majority of people are living in squalor, hypothesising they're looking for an escape. The potato, they were heavily reliant on it, so they became reliant on it for their drink as well. Society is very repressive. Yeah. Even if, you know, like you're talking about people who, you know, Ireland is not a democracy in the early 19th century. You're talking about the aftermath maybe of things like um, the 1798 rebellion. Then there's been, um, say, for example, serious upheaval around the Tide War. You know, so like society, you can see reasons why people might be drinking. But also, I guess, talking about pushing the alcohol content in that is also very high and maybe feeding into this idea of an abstinence movement having very real yeah. reasons in society that this must have been creating and quite serious prob- problems. It probably is a two-way street and you probably do see people in abject poverty who are looking at maybe their parents who are consuming too much pushing and it's having a detrimental effect on their ability to provide for their family. So this might be driving yeah, a yeah, younger... I, thought it, I actually came across a very uh, bleak story on that front. It's kind of related to it... Um, that during the famine, someone who had been in the North Dublin workhouse leaves and kind of, and he seems to be squatting or something in the house and then he's going to go back to the workhouse but he's a chronic alcoholic and he actually goes off drinking instead, uh, doesn't go to the workhouse and eventually dies. But uh, this person has lived through the famine, survived to the end. Um, he's obviously in a very desperate condition. You can see this by the fact that he had to go to the workhouse but when there's an autopsy carried out in his body, his liver was so uh, enlarged that it had pushed his lung out of place. and But that just shows this level of um, addiction. You know, we talk about it today, and it was an issue in the 19th century where someone literally drank themselves to death, was able to survive a famine, but at the end of it, uh, drank themselves to death. Just coming on to the end of the famine, I think if you wanted to say where does modern drinking habits emerge, I think it's uh, very much at the end of the famine. And what you see emerging there is... Um, Due to changes in legislation where spirits become, the basically, long story short, spirits are taxed more. Um, naturally, then that leads to a switch back to ale. Now, this is partly driven by this desire to try and curve excessive drinking. But you see this huge uh, soaring in the amount of alcohol being consumed, or sorry, the amount of ale being consumed in Ireland. So it goes from like 3.5 gallons per person in per year in 1851 up to 23 gallons in 1901 now it should be said that wine is drank in Ireland at this stage but it's largely irrelevant again you're talking about a a very small layer at the top of society drinking it but spirits consumption while ale starts to increase spirits consumption is declining because uh, it's been taxed more and there's been much more rigorous pursuit of it by the police but also 
it, there's probably evidence that people are just drinking less spirits because there's a kind of touching on what you were saying earlier, DJ. You've got this generation now who've grown up around the temperance movement and maybe they don't abstain completely themselves, but they're less likely to be drinking huge amounts of alcohol. And this may be just one of the, the influences of Father Theobald Matthews' movement. That movement had largely declined or had totally declined by this point, but that this may have been a kind of an after effect of yeah. that movement that it has this influence that Irish people, while they're still drinking um, and probably drinking quite a lot, they're not drinking spirits that had been a problem. Um, and this is leading to this quite a substantial change. People often talk, I suppose, bringing it right now into the early 20th century, but at this point people talk about what kind of a revolution in drinking had taken place where people have moved almost totally away from spirits consumption has gone down hugely and this kind of the movement of ale drinking and I suppose modern drinking habits are starting to emerge and I suppose at this point it's worth mentioning Guinness you can't have a conversation around alcohol in Ireland without talking about Guinness A lot can happen in three years like a chatbot may be your new best friend but what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Recently, I had a minor argument with a close friend that brought up things from my past that I really needed to get off my chest. I think we've all been there. Now, I found therapy a really great way to work through these issues. For me, I really like online therapy. And BetterHelp is a really great online service that allows you to make space for therapy no matter how busy you are. BetterHelp is convenient, affordable, and gives you the support you need, but also works around your schedule. It's really easy to get up and running with a therapist on BetterHelp. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. You can do your sessions by text, phone or video call, whichever suits you best. It's all about flexibility, working around your schedule. At the moment, BetterHelp are offering listeners to the show 10% off their first month. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash irishhistory today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Irish history. Absolutely not. I mean, Guinness has dominated the alcohol scene in Ireland for, <clears throat> I mean, it celebrated its 250th anniversary 10, 11 years ago now. We're recording this in 2020, bear in mind. So it's 261 years in existence, but it has absolutely dominated the Irish alcohol scene for the last 120 years, without yeah. a doubt. And I suppose... Um, consumption of beer and stout was on the decline throughout the 19th century but at the turn of the 20th century you definitely see this massive increase in, in Guinness consumption um, and you, you see this increase in, in consumption of beer across, across all um, aspects of society but by 1900 they're operating the largest brewery in the world 
um, they've got 2,000 people employed in Dublin and by the time they get to the 1920s which a critical area a critical time in Ireland's um, I suppose in the history of Ireland that their their branding themselves is quintessentially Irish yeah, yeah. which is quite funny when you look at the origins of Arthur Guinness and where yeah, came exactly, from yeah exactly yeah I guess it's a thing they felt they couldn't move Guinness out of Ireland yeah that Guinness was tied to Ireland and that Ireland had become largely independent so they had no choice but to embrace this and they become this idea that they are almost representative of our, an independent Ireland. Yeah. I like, suppose it's... Sorry, going on. No, I, I was going to say, I think as well, um, in modern Ireland, certainly Guinness advertisements on the television are great, but you look at historically, like some of, some of the, the posters around rural Ireland that have stood the test of time are all Guinness advertisements. And I would say that at the time, Guinness are brilliant at promoting themselves. And promote themselves like, as Irish, I reckon, yeah, because you have to look at this um, concept of Irish and the drinking culture around Ireland. It is prevalent at the time, and you see that in um, documented uh, films based on, say, New York around the time. You have this um, entire culture of the, the fighting Irish, the drinking, the drunken Irish. Yeah, you know, and and certainly Guinness are more than happy to, to, embrace. to embrace this. Okay, it's yeah. good for business, I reckon. Yeah. And I think that's you're starting to see a really unhealthy national image. And yeah. I think it'd be good if we can move on to that soon enough, this idea that the problematic attitude that Irish people have, that on one level we kind of embrace this idea of um, being kind of the alcohol, the alcoholic, the drunk, and I suppose maybe people who really um, embra- embody this are people like yeah. um, Brendan Bean, to a lesser extent the Dubliners, so Shane McGowan, this idea that, you know, it's, it's almost great to be drinking yourself into oblivion rather than kind of looking at this and going this is a really serious problem now i think this is also related to another thing in irish society which is the flip side of it that there was never a healthy attitude and back now we're talking about we've talked about guinness emerging and this culture of suppose drinking pints in the uh 1920s or in the early 20th century where it's really solidified itself in that 50 years uh after the famine but at the start, that, or sorry, at this point, you also get the emergence of a new abstinence movement. And like this abstinence movement is huge. For example, in Crow Park in 1949, you have 80,000 people attend a rally for this abstinence movement. And uh, by 1968, 42%, I, I was stunned by this, 42% of the Irish population are pioneers. They're not drinking at all. Now, at the same time, you've got that but at the same time you've got a huge number of alcoholics in the country yeah. and I think this reflects this either it's all or nothing there's it's, not like the idea extremes. like you do in the podcast a lot the idea of having a sociable drink mm. you know that alcohol is part of life as opposed to being you know going out and having a couple of pints of an evening as opposed to going out and having going binge drinking or not drinking at all yeah absolutely I think I think the you know in order to fully embrace our relationship and, and develop a a more mature and modern relationship with alcohol in Ireland. You have to look at the reasons why we have the relationship we have with alcohol to begin with. And even even there, like we, we've we've talked about the we, we briefly touched on the impact that the states might have had on the image of a, a, an Irish alcoholic. And um, remember again, like the prohibition in the nineteen thirties that actually had so many yeah. Irish distilleries that had a huge impact in Ireland. Absolutely, actually, yeah. but at the same time too, it, it so many Irish distilleries closed down at that time that it just promoted and fueled. The, the beer industry 
it yeah. promoted like it gave Smilix and Guinness a really strong foothold yeah. in Irish drinking cultures because if your local distillery closed down you know that culture of of overindulging on beer became because as well the alcohol quantity in beer is so much less than spirits well, you need to drink an awful lot more yeah, you, you know what I mean do those day long drinking sessions which absolutely some of the statistics around this really did boggle me though this idea where you've got this I never realised how schizophrenic I suppose it's one way of putting it that Irish attitudes to alcohol are in this um, that it's almost you're either abstaining yeah. or at the other end of the spectrum you're drinking vast vast quantities alcohol I think you have to look at the role that the church plays with that abstinence as well because no for sure I mean I, mean, I, 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 was, I went to school throughout the 1990s and I still when I made my confirmation I had to take a pledge of abstinence yeah. Um, and that was in 2001-2002 so without a doubt the high levels of abstinence when you consider Ireland as a drinking um, country and you, you quoted the figures there from the 1960s the, the Catholic Church had a massive influence on Irish culture and the development of the Republic of Ireland and how it grew so I think you definitely see these two ends of the extremes and one end is driven by the church but the other end is driven by a, a poor legacy of our societal relation with alcohol without a doubt I, I think though personally I would say I don't think either are very healthy no because it's not actually getting people to understand the ideal situation is that people would be able to have a drink and then that's fine you know as you see in lots of other countries the problem is in Ireland is it's almost like don't drink that and I think that almost creates this idea it almost creates this idea of the desired thing that you're not allowed to have the forbidden fruit exactly yeah I, I think as well, touching on that in modern Irish society, you know, you've, you've, you've got um, certain social um, events like the 12 pubs at Christmas where people yeah. are going and drinking 12 yeah. pints in 12 different pubs versus as well, it seems to, it seems to me that um, we've developed a culture where we either overindulge in alcohol or we go out and don't drink. But just maybe using that to bring the story full circle if we started in the mid- medieval period back at the start of the podcast... I've got a couple of statistics here, and again, these really shocked me. So in 1960, alcohol consumption in Ireland was 4.88 litres of pure alcohol. That's just the way it's been measured. Obviously, people aren't drinking pure alcohol. That's in a lot more drink. Um, But they're drinking 4.88 litres of pure alcohol. By 1993, that had increased to 8 litres. And in 2018, it was at 11 litres. So while we could talk back and say there was these problems in the early 20th century, like the problem today is actually, if anything, as bad and worse. And I think the things that are fueling that are different. I think, um, I suppose the recession had a big impact that people couldn't afford to go to pubs. They're drinking from off licenses at home. And then that Without way doubt, yeah. you can drink a lot more. There's lots of things going on. And I, I think you have to be yeah. careful as to what we ascribe to this. I su- Sorry, go on. Yeah. I, su- I suppose the point on people drinking at home as well is um, the pub closes. Your home doesn't. And yeah, until you can end up drinking huge quantities of, at home. Exactly. Um, I also think as well, like, you're dead right in what you say, that consumption fluctuates with um, uh, different levels of uh, economic prosperity in a country. But the difference between uh, Ireland today and Ireland in the early 19th century, in the famine era, is the accessibility to, accessibility to people in poverty, to alcohol today, is huge. There's great accessibility to alcohol, whereas maybe today, that, today okay, yeah, yeah, you know, like you can go into a supermarket and buy vast quantities of alcohol for, you know, relatively 
yeah, small quantities yeah. of money. You know, the value of alcohol isn't that great. Whereas, you know, in in 19th century Ireland, you could probably argue that if you didn't have any means and you were on the poverty line, it would be very difficult to access yeah, yeah, right, vast yeah. quantities of alcohol. There is one interesting thing, and I don't know if this is hope for the future, as, like, as we kind of bring the podcast to a conclusion. But young people today, and this is actually probably just bringing in another problem that's way beyond the scope, the scope of, of, the, of, of, of the, us two in a pub yeah, <laughs> and, and the scope of a history pro- podcast. But younger people today, there's lots of indications that younger people today are not drinking as much, say, as uh, our generation, like 38 and DJ's. 30. 30. But like DJ is probably saying he's not of my generation. <laughs> but uh, certainly people in their early 20s. Uh, surveys indicate they're not drinking as much yeah. now why that is happening people have argued it's not happening because of social media people are very they're not it's not that they're not drinking because they don't want to drink and they see it as being um unhealthy which obviously it is but that they're afraid that if they do drink that they'll be videoed by their friends this will end up on facebook twitter instagram tiktok whatever <laughs> and that it'll go viral and they'll be absolutely humiliated and that that is and I was very surprised when I, I read that but that that was cited as one reason um, I think that's opened up a whole other problem that society faces in terms of like uh, like that that's not healthy either but I, I did find it interesting that like it is I suppose an older generation that are drinking more now whereas traditionally you would have always associated the heaviest drinkers in society as people probably being in their 20s who are better able to absorb alcohol or whatever and don't have the commitments yeah, without a doubt. I think I, I think um, what you're touching on there, Finn, is young people's attitude to alcohol has changed. Now, there's a multitude of factors, uh, without a doubt. Um, the problem here is it's very easy to get into anecdotes when you're talking about yeah, the for cons- sure. consumption. And, and you'll hear anecdotes about people, uh, about young people who go out and they won't drink, but they'll take recreational drugs, etc. Yeah. And what I have to t- say is, we as a nation have been very poor at looking at why people do what they do. So why does our generation drink to excess and why why is the younger generation drinking less? Well, you know, I think we definitely need to have a look at society. And the the key with doing with with looking at history podcasts, looking at incidents that alcohol has fueled throughout our history, looking at the impact it has had in post famine Ireland and Ireland in the nineteen twenties, is you know, you have to learn from your history. And if we were to aspire to what Ireland's relationship with alcohol should be in the 2020s, we should learn what it has been previously. And um, I think you were talking earlier about what we try and do in Snowcast, is is promote this whole idea of going for a few points. Why do people go for a few points traditionally? And do you think, uh, just on that, do you think uh, the emergence of uh, craft beer and things like that are positive or negative? Like, just the one thing I would say is... uh, Craft beers vary massively in alcohol content, yeah. so you can end up drinking something that's maybe six, seven percent, and not realise it. Um, and do you, I don't know what, what do you think? Do you think it's a positive or? I, I my 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 personal attitude to drinking has changed massively in the last couple of years. Um, like I was a big advocate of going out on a Saturday and drinking ten, twelve pints and drinking yourself into a lovely drunken state and going home. Yeah. Uh, whereas now I, I, I can think of nothing better than going to somewhere that will have a good selection of craft beers that are brewed locally, that are brewed with local produce and you can actually talk to the barman about them. What are they? What does it taste like? And, and get a taste of what the, the, the beer is and find out what the percentage is and gauge yourself. Um, 
and then make a calculated decision that you know what two or three points of this and good conversation engaged with someone will actually benefit me a lot more than drinking 12 points and feeling terrible tomorrow and that's the relationship with alcohol I'd love to see Ireland moving to where we can support local breweries and support port or local pub go and have two or three points of the locally brewed, brewed stuff and have a good decent conversation sit down around the table like we are now yeah, yeah, having yeah. a couple of pints of, of a, a beer that's brewed in Kilkenny but yeah just on that I guess I'd have a slightly different perspective on this yeah and like maybe we'll, we'll wrap up soon enough but I, I'm just not sure whether like it doesn't matter if a brewery is local like that's just my like I think it's kind of coming back to this thing yeah. it, it, it's okay is alcohol the problem and our relationship to it and does it really matter then if it's brewed in like you can make all sorts of economic arguments about everything yeah. I'm buying locally on that level whatever you can have that argument but just in terms of alcohol Socially, I don't know. It doesn't matter that much. And I yeah. think, I, think I, yeah. I don't think you're wrong. I don't um, think socially it matters that much. And I think no matter what's in the glass, the question to ask yourself is why am I sitting with the glass? Well, on that, I'm going to bring this episode to a close. That's the most uh, contemporary I think the show has ever <laughs> gone. And um, as I said, Partisans is coming back. That won't be till February because uh, next Wednesday in a couple of days' time, I'm off to an archive and hopefully I might have great content for you that's never been seen before that will come out of that and will form some of the episodes of Partisans going forward thanks a million to DJ uh, for coming up really appreciate all your uh, uh, insights there DJ they were brilliant if you want to check out uh, DJ's podcast it's uh, Snugcast unfortunately Owen the co-host couldn't make it today but it's well worth tuning into Snugcast you can find it on um, iTunes Spotify wherever you listen to podcasts uh, so yeah thanks a million DJ uh, thanks a million to everyone for listening and uh, keep up the good work Finn loving Cheers, it thanks I'll be back next week with uh, something else before uh, Partisans comes back in February uh, until then so on. Mm-hmm.